Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery, which we now are. Good morning. And we will remain. Richard. And Ronnie is smiling. And why is Ronnie <laughs> smiling? <laughs> Beaming <laughs> like the Cheshire Cat. Why is he? Why is he sitting up to bring this up? Well, I looked in the mirror this morning and I looked at my hair and it looks like I've got a, a, a hairline now because um, I had a hair transplant and it looks like he's working. So I've got a bit of a smile on my face. So you now have a hairline. Is that like a sort of clothesline or...? No, it's a hairline. Party line. <laughs> oh, so you mean yeah. that the bit where you were going bald? Where yeah. I went bald. Yeah, you where can. you have the receding hairline. I have it's now no longer receding. <laughs> it's no longer receding. And you, you, can't, you, you can't sniff that line, though, yeah. can you, mate? Good no, you can't you sniff my line. <laughs> well, there's all sorts of types of lines, you know, it's not a line up. It is still work to go. Tom. Does that mean you're going to have to get a new passport photo and everything now you've got Yeah. Because they're going to say, no, this isn't you. You're bald there. No, it's not you. No, because my passport photo that I'm still using was of about 10 years ago, so. When you, you had hair anyway. Have you got to go back again? No. Or is it done? No, it's, so it's You've got done. to wait for it to grow out. Yeah, it's, it takes 10 months in total and it's on month three so far. But what happens when another part of your head goes bald? Well, I asked this question. Um, like if you get a monk's... <laughs> I asked this pack. question, Mohammed. I asked Mohammed anyway. He asked me my age, and, and he said, "Yeah, you won't." <laughs> so so you're never going to go bald again. <laughs> no. But what will happen if you start going grey or white? Oh, and no. Will the new bit not go grey or no, white, said, and the rest he, he will? Said the, the follicles do talk to each other, and, and it will stimulate growth in areas which haven't been transplanted. <laughs> I didn't know that. The hairs are bigging each other up. Like the, you, man. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> you're looking yeah, sick, you're looking great, mate. Yeah, so That's not fair. He's grown more than me. <laughs> I'm going to complain. Yeah, why am I grey? <laughs> trying to pick faults. <laughs> with my hair, please. It's one of the, Sensitive the, the joys of recovery. I'm still thinking of that Simpsons episode where Homer ends up with the hair transplant. I haven't seen that one. There's, no. there's the one where he suddenly gets incredibly successful and actually starts talking sense <laughs> and suddenly turns into a version of Homer we've never seen before. <laughs> but the hair has come from the criminal snake. Oh, yeah, snake. <laughs> you see, yeah. when you were talking about the hair in the first place, Ronnie, I was thinking of you having some great big flowing locks and bouffants. <laughs> Watch this face. Some absurd wig. What are you planning to grow it? I'm having a man bun. No. <laughs> yeah. No! I'm just going to let it grow and see what happens. No, don't do a man bomb. No. Think of the implications. I don't think of anybody else anymore. Well, I do think of others, but I don't, I'm not worried about other people's opinions anymore. Well, obviously anyone listening to this can't see it, but it does actually clearly look like Ronnie is not receding anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got seven more months to go. Every month you get gifted with 10% more hair. <laughs> Oh, it just grows and grows. Yeah, each ten months. Yeah. Yeah, more, more, the follicles are chatting to each other, aren't they? So. Oh, right. Do you think weeds do that in the garden? Yeah, yeah. Do you think right. they call across the garden, going, "Hey, you missed a patch, mate." <laughs> well, my plant in my bedroom, right, was starting to lean over quite a bit because it's trying to get the sun, and it's in the corner, and then so it sprouted a new leaf, which is now coming across, and it's propping him so he doesn't snap one of the leaves. So the the, the leaves. Oh, are so mutual them. support. Yeah, a bit like a twelve step group. Mm. So yeah. they have their own group. Yeah. So that my idea about cats having their own group wasn't that far off the mark then, because <laughs> leaves do it, and hair follicles do it, and weeds do it. Well, our cat came round last night. Well, it's not our cat; it's a neighbour's cat. But, uh, we feed it. Your adoptive cat. Yeah. And we were sitting there by the back door talking about recovery, 
And, what, uh, the cat was, or you were? We were, and the cat was seen there. That Norman, wasn't it? And I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining him going back to all his other cats, going, hey, they're talking about recovery again. And complaining. And said, so, oh, you know that Ronnie, he's grown his hair back. <laughs> How'd he do that then? He had a bald patch. Yeah. And then he disappeared for a few days and came back with these funny looking knobs on his head. <laughs> and then they've turned into hair. And, red, red and they're still sprouting. They're still more because they're itching. I'm going to scratch them. So cast over your week, Ronnie, has been this huge self-improvement thing about having hair again. Well, yeah, I suppose. A little bit of that. I just didn't think it was going to work. And it is working. But does it affect you psychologically or mentally? I mean, is it a confidence thing? Is it a no? Because before I just had this. When we started podcast, and someone decided to take pictures. Oh, of the random all, photos. The ra- yeah, you remember yeah. that random. You I were leaning down forward, slightly. Yeah, I, I was about probably another three stone heavier, and I just looked like a slumped drunk on this table with a big bald patch on the back of my head. The light was, didn't help, did it? The light didn't help, but the lack of hair didn't help either. And I was horrified, and I was just like, nah, what's happened? And then I was looking at prices, and it was like five, six, seven thousand pounds. I thought, oh, well, that's never going to happen. And then I just looked on a line one day, and it was a lot cheaper in Istanbul. That's quite the expedition, isn't it? <laughs> it's not like popping out to Tony that is and Guy. dedication, no. isn't it? So maybe there'll be a time when hairdressers here do it. Yeah. yeah. Something for the weekend, sir. Do you want to grow your hair back? <laughs> I don't think it's that. I don't know. They take the follicle out, don't they? And they jam it back in your head. Yeah. And but is it like a genetically giant. modified tomato? You know, when they make a tomato that's made from another tomato. Oh, yeah. No. It's genetically made. No. So they don't take parts of your DNA and think, right, we're going to reprogram this in a, in a little test They can yeah. farm your hair, but it takes a lot longer and it's a lot more expensive. What is farming do? your hair so that they can make you a wig in case your hair all falls out? <laughs> they can do that as well, yeah. That's really taking it to extremes, isn't it? Really? I want you to make me 25 wigs of my exact hair at these particular stages in my life because I'm like going to have to wear them all. A, bana- a, a banana, a tomato plant out of its pot and put it into another pot somewhere else. Ah, so it's not genetically modified. You're not superhuman hair. It's like you're getting cuttings, isn't it? <laughs> you're getting cuttings. <laughs> like a rosemary bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... Them wood things, I can't remember what they're called, and you're trying to get the hole out the wood. And oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like mini ones of them. They go... Zzz, 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 oh. and three, I have 3,500 grafts. Which That's is scary. Oh, just... that guy's got patience, brother. I couldn't do that. Did you take before and after photos? Yes, well, they did. It's on their website. You're on their website? Yeah. What's their website? No. You know, when they do hair regeneration models, do they do a picture of you? Or do you have to lean forward and they just do a straight shot of your head? They just took pictures, but they did draw. You've got a funny line going across the top of your head, haven't you? I always have. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since I shaved it off. Did you get axed? No, I, I shaved it off before Britney Spears did it. I shaved it off when I was in hospital once. I just decided it all had to go. Uh-huh. They kept me in for a bit longer after that. <laughs> and because I took a wet razor on it, and they, they took the razor away from me and all this stuff. When I left and following that, I carried on just razoring it and taking it off. 
and it's never had a real line since. If it grows back, it grows back all over the place. It doesn't look like it's missing, just a little um, bit of busy. Oh, no, no, there's not anything missing. And <laughs> it's probably no, hat no, no, hair, no. isn't it? You know, again, a haircut. I mean, I'm quite lucky in that I've got no pattern baldness and actually I've got very little grey. But when I think my mate from university, he started going bald before he even got to university. Mm. And by the time we graduated, he was completely bald. <laughs> but he looks exactly the same today. He doesn't really look any older. I went grey when I was like 20. My first grey hair like 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And now I've got loads. All in there, but... Just on a little, one little flick here and there. Like he's got a the thing about dyeing it though, because people do this, yeah. once you've started, there's no going back. Mm. Because if you do go back and suddenly think, well, I'll stop dyeing it, you're going to be really grey straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can always tell when someone's dyed it anyway. Anyway, enough about hair. I think Ronnie has probably felt that topic has been exhausted <laughs> for now. We'll have a hair update next week. Follicle <laughs> update? Follicle update, yeah. Will, will we interview the follicles or you, though? Well, let me, can I just quickly say, 3,000 follicles was implanted, but each follicle has got up to five hairs in them. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's 15,000 hairs. Mm. That's a lot of follicles to interview, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you think we should do a forum? No, they all speak for each other anyway. There's one master on the <laughs> one master. He sits in the crown. Is it like a beehive then? Yeah. It's a bit like having a beehive. You got, on a, your queen, head. You got a queen <laughs> follicle. Queen follicle. Queen follicle. Yeah. It sings. It's a <laughs> Anyway, how was your week, Matt? Been alright. I've been recovering from COVID, so I've been having plenty of little naps and some late mornings. Try and recuperate, man. I'm just finding myself in the evenings mega tired. I don't know, going to bed stupid early, mm. waking up and then staying awake even longer. So I'm trying to just, yeah, I'm just trying to reboot myself. Plenty of meetings, podcasts this morning. Everything seems to be falling. I'm going to have a structured week within the coming month or so. I'm going to know what day I'm doing what yeah. and where it's going yeah. where and everything's going to work out and then I'll be... But I'm all good. Do you know what I mean? I can't that happen. rebooting is necessary after anything. I mean, obviously, COVID will have hit you to some degree. And it's all about getting back to some sense of routine and diarying what you're doing, isn't mm. it? Yeah. And it yeah. can feel fairly weird when you mm. have to reboot because we have to work so hard at this routine stuff. We really do. It doesn't just come naturally. No. You've actually got to think, right, this is how I'm doing this week. I was talking about that yesterday because I was doing a mental health thing. And one of the most important things that I got from that was doing this routine thing whereby I would plan my week, but then I would fill out another planner in retrospect and look at the difference between the two. Because mm-hmm. <coughs> what I think I'm planning and what I'm actually doing are very rarely the same yeah. thing. I'm, I'm lucky at the minute in that I'm quite structured in that I've got what I do working and I've also got a play on at the minute, so I'm rehearsing four times a week. I've got a diary that's pretty much managing me yeah, 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 yeah. rather than me managing the diary. The only thing I have to do is be sure that I take time out to ensure sure yeah. that I take some time to write <clears throat> and some time where I'm just mm. sat in front of the telly or bumbling about the house. Doing fuck all. And, and there has yeah. to be some degree of that. And weekends I'm, I'm at theatre and I'm rehearsing. And realistically, it's not sensible for me to plan other things on a Saturday afternoon or evening, mm-hmm. or a Sunday afternoon or evening. And then I look at time during the week where I can do a bit of writing. It's easy enough, provided I follow up on the things I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. 
but to reboot from nothing. I found that the following up bit because I do something not get it properly done. Yeah. Then I'm like done it. I'm just adjusting to a new way of life, man. Before it was just I made sure I fucking got everything done that I needed to get done in my using. It's like I was ringing about my debt and that. I was on the phone for ages, and then I didn't get the full thing done. Ended the call, and in my head, I've done it. So then I've already rang them, and I'm like, shit, I haven't actually done that. So now I've got to. It really does take time yeah. though, to get into that groove of this is how I'm living now, and this is this new way of going about things, mm-hmm. and that I confront things rather than ignoring them. Yeah. I don't put them off. It's like, okay, I've got that to do this week. I can't pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And. I'm pleased to say for me that I've sent off another couple of submissions. I don't know whether they'll go anywhere. But there's actually a great deal of relief in just doing it. Yeah. You know, I've sent the email, yeah. I've done it, I think, okay, I've done that one. I said I was going to do it. I said I was going to send this. I said I was going to edit it and then send it. I haven't spent hours and days deliberating over rewriting that one scene. So, right, this is as good as it's going to get for now. It's going. And there is this, thank God I've actually done it. Mm. And whether anything comes of it or not, it's just a bonus. And it's in the ether. Yeah, yeah. And when they read it, they might not like it anyway. But it's all on an individual basis anyway, isn't it? Absolutely. Because you hear about people that are like, oh, that's Squid Game. Got rejected for 10 years, didn't it? Like, that's Squid Game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, bam, now it's the biggest... I didn't watch it because I, I can't do the subtitle. What is it? And they voice it over. The Dubbing's dubbing. awful. Oh, I can't deal with it. I will only watch things in original. In, yeah, version. same. I same. won't watch anything that's. I'd done. rather read subtitles in a different language than watch a dubbing. Serious. Mm-hmm. Squid Game. It's not that difficult subtitled actually because it's very well managed in terms of the amount of dialogue. It's not mm-hmm. over the top. Because the thing that can be quite tricky about maybe the Scandinavian dramas and stuff is they tend to be quite wordy as well. Right. Whereas so if something's of... got, there's a lot of visuals and a lot of action in it, then it's less important that you're trying to read the subtitles all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something like Squid Game, it took an executive to say, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they may well have rejected it again and again and again. And you know when you submit something, I submitted to one of the big playwriting prizes, they will get thousands of scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will read as many as they can and they will have a system whereby they read the beginnings. It depends on what their system is, I don't even know which one it is. And I know that a lot of film companies and a lot of TV, they want to see a log line, they want to see a short treatment and they want to see the first 10 pages in that order. So if they get as far as reading your first 10 pages, your first 10 pages have got to grab them in the way that they want to be grabbed to persuade them to read the rest. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. if they read the rest, then they yeah. talk about whether they think they can do anything with it. And that takes quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's all subjective. If I'm writing something that's a bit off the wall, there might be someone that loves it and mm-hmm. someone else that hates it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person pulling the purse strings may well say, this is too risky. Let's do another cop drama. Which as you can see by watching television, that's all there happens is. rather a lot. To be fair, I've never been one for TV, like, why well, now? I used to when I was younger. But these days, man, not in the daytime anyway. I don't want to get caught up, like, in a series. Because so I like series, yeah, mm. and films. But not your soaps and all your... F- I can't fucking nah. deal with all of that. Well, we don't have television. No? I've got a fire stick. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah therefore, yeah. Netflix, Amazon, iPlayer, whatever. But I don't watch ordinary TV anymore. 
and I do watch series and I do watch films, but I watch those on the evenings where I, this is my staying time. I don't get that many of them now. At the moment, I get three evenings a week, really. And yet, a lot of content that I watch out to look for. And the other thing, I mean, we have to raise this now because we've naturally reached it. And it also feeds into what you're going to talk about, Ronnie, is that one of the issues for me in doing this is that there is either a lack of representation of addiction as a societal issue on the TV and in film, or it's misrepresented. Yeah. I was looking at the new series of Ozark, and they've got in another guy who's an addict. So they've obviously been to some pains to integrate some of this, because in the previous series they had the bipolar brother who was messing about with drugs as well. It's actually quite credible what they've done in that, but that's not the norm. It's not the norm for a series to have a character who is in recovery and to have them be convincing and believable. I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen that. But I could be wrong, I could <clears throat> be watching the wrong things. Don't quote me on this, but I think Samuel L. Jackson was a heroin addict, yeah? Samuel L. Jackson's in recovery. Yeah, right? Samuel L. Jackson was a heroin addict, and the first movie he done was a smackhead. He'd done it so well, and then he just turned his life around through having, yeah, like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. obviously he got into recovery and that, but... But I've been watching some films lately, and it's quite surprising because I have noticed that there are a lot of actors in their players in there that are in recovery within the actual film itself and sometimes to the point where they're actually in a treatment centre and stuff and I've noticed that more lately. Am uh, I watching the wrong thing then? Possibly, I don't know. I mean, I'm just watching any typing in best movies of 2022 or 2021 and whatever comes up, I'm, I type in and, and, and have a mooch and again, a lot. If it's becoming part of the conversation that we represent addicts and alcoholics in film. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it, the films that I've been... Don't know, it's only a good sign. I watched the Denzel Washington one, the one where he was the drunk pilot. Flight. He, yeah, and yeah. at the end he goes in and fesses up. Yeah. Well, there was... And there's Man on Fire as well. He's, he was an alcoholic in that. Crisis. And, uh, I watched Crisis, which is a 2022 film, and there was a girl in that who was in and out of rehab and her brother had to keep finding and stuff like that and that was quite powerful to be fair. Yeah, they had one in The Haunting of Hill House as well. Oh yes, I remember him. I remember that one. The Haunting of Hill House. It's not the same way in the book. And the book's an extraordinary thing, but the film was all the more extraordinary for the way it departed from the book. Yeah. But I, I do think there's still more work to be done on this. And also I am going to call out soap operas <laughs> for the way that they represent alcoholics and addicts. And yeah. Phil Mitchell's still running a pub, isn't it? Or uh, probably not, he's probably too busy doing something else now. But do you remember when he was on crack? Yeah, he was banging at it, mate, I remember that. <laughs> there was scandal in his face now, probably. Yeah. Anyway, Ronnie, what have you got for us? Well, what I have, which Sadiq Khan plans pilot to decriminalise minor cannabis offences in London. Ah. Now, I was looking at this and I was reading through and it just shouts out one thing that if that's going to happen, it's not really a deterrent. That's for 18 to 24-year-olds. Well, only for 18 to 24-year-olds? Yeah. That's well, how random is that? that? Yeah, and, and all Sorry, you're 25! <laughs> We're going to punish you to the ninth length of the law. And also... You're a day too old. <laughs> it's only going to be applicable to three boroughs of London. 
It makes it like a free transport scheme. Or a here's your free bike scheme. Right, this tiny section of our society within certain boroughs of our largest city, we're going to trial this out. What they're doing, trying to prove it won't work. So what makes me laugh is that they're trying to reduce crime rates. So what they're doing is decriminalising cannabis. So obviously it won't go down then to crime. No, but if you did what's happened, certainly in Portugal, and you decriminalised drug use anyway, of course you'd see a lowering of crime. And the effect in Portugal has an overall lowering of crime, mm. I believe. I think because decriminalisation and legalisation is not the same thing. Yeah. And decriminalisation is about taking away the stigma of people using drugs. Yeah. And there's far more chance of getting people into treatment if the only issue that surrounds them is the use of the drug. And, and they're not like, scared to come forward. And decriminalisation also means that the supply of those drugs is different. And the supply of those drugs is not so criminal. Because if you decriminalise the supply, then actually it makes access and treatment much easier. It makes the whole thing more out in the open. And it makes it much easier to deal with. But what he's doing now is piecemeal. It's almost like it's set up to fail only doing it in three boroughs and only doing it with a six-year tranche. Yeah. Because their mates in the next borough are going to be saying, that's not fair. And then they'll all be like, retaliating each other. Postcode Yeah, bro, postcode laws. No, I'm all right. I I live in this borough, I'm allowed. Yeah. It'd be like moving house to get the best school, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Right, now my son's always smoking weed. We'd better move to the next borough. (laughs) And also, something else I picked up on was that the heaviest drinkers brought 17 times more alcohol than light drinkers during lockdown. 17 times? 17 times more, yeah. Is that based on sales? So, so people who are already at risk of alcohol harm brought significantly more during COVID-19 lockdowns compared to people who drank lightly. I have this image of people thinking, oh, it's okay now, we can't go to work anyway. Yeah. And going down the off feet every yeah, night yeah, yeah. to go with Netflix and it becoming a habit. So are people just thinking, well, I don't need to be so because you've got work, you're going to work, you're not allowed to be drunk at work, obviously. So if you're not working, it's okay then to be drunk. I wonder how many people were drunk working from home. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I bet they were. That'd be an interesting survey, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. How many people are working from home, doing everything on the phone, and they're just whacking back bloody tinnies all day? <laughs> well, yeah, even without COVID, people that work from home can be um, under the influence. I know of, of people that work from home that have been on, under the influence. The question you raised there, Ronnie, though, is an interesting one, because if people were drinking a lot more during lockdown, is there a knock-on effect of people ending up in hospital? Mm-hmm. Is there a knock-on effect of people ending up in alcoholic cycles? Or are these people who've drunk very heavily for three months and then just gone back to work? Yeah. Because all three will be involved, oh. I would think. Yeah. yeah because there will be some who, in the, in the same way as someone loses a child, a partner, or one of those life events that can destroy anyone and drinks whiskey on their own for six months but then pulls themselves together and goes back to living. Some people can do that without ending up in the alcoholic cycle. Some people can't. Some people would have been caught unawares. 
because they'll mm. have started off just drinking a bit of wine in front of the Netflix, mm -hmm. and now they'll be sat in a room in their pants drinking White Lightning. <laughs> yeah. That's the reality, isn't it? For me, I only had certain jobs, or I wasn't high at work. <laughs> yeah, I'd be stoned constantly. I'd have a little bong so I could like take it out, and I'm, I, like, if you smoke a spliff, you stink of weed. Yeah. So the bong, you just smoke it, blow it out, and it's done. So I'd have like three of them and get yeah. back into work. I didn't drink anywhere near work. I would drink after work. And that kept me in denial for a long time because I didn't even drink all the time while I was in full-time work where there was a microscope on me. So actually my drinking was kept at bay while I was teaching, apart from occasional blowouts in the holiday. That kept me in very strong terms of denial. Of course I'm not drunk. I only get really drunk and go off the rails when it's the summer holiday mm. or when it's Easter or when it's Christmas. I don't do it in the normal week because I don't finish working till 8 o'clock and then I go to the pub because I need to sleep. I need to knock a few back so I can sleep. I, I was like that as well. I couldn't sleep without a spliff. To be fair though, I can identify with that. I would smoke weed at work. I always have done. My reasons have never been controllable at all. There's no mm. aspect of my addiction that has ever been under control. The only bit of control I could say is I'd smoke weed during the day at work yeah. and then I'd get wrecked at night and then mm. I'd do the same again. But to be fair, I'd smoke weed all day and then the weekend I touch down and I'd go fucking hell for leather, Friday, stay up till Sunday, go to work Monday and that, it, it was just burnout, wasn't it? Yeah. And then it? Then it was Tuesday, then it was Thursday, then it was Monday, yeah. and then it was, I wasn't going to work. It just kind of moulds in, doesn't it? I just started doing everything in the week. I'm like, yeah, well, I just have one line and then eventually I'm fucking smoking crack on a fucking Wednesday like. That's what happened to me when I finished teaching. I sat down that day in September and that's when it dawned on me because it was the first day of term for everybody and I wasn't in the job and it suddenly dawned on me what I'd done because I effectively walked out even though it was over a redundancy I, d I didn't contest it when I should have done and it didn't hit me until that September morning and from then on the booze was just there any time of the day because yeah. I didn't have a job to go to and I wasn't asked we're going to find another one. I think, Ronnie, it would be worth investigating whether there's been a knock-on effect on drug and alcohol services post-lockdown. Yeah. yeah that'd be and interesting. whether there have been more people admitted to hospital post-lockdown or during lockdown because of alcohol-related conditions. Because that's probably quantifiable, isn't it? There's yeah, probably say, some yeah, kind of figures on that. We probably know that the answer to that There's is going to be a bit of a yes. spike in oh, it. I, think, I agree. I think we'll the answer is definitely going to be yes. Yeah, we'll see, see what the figures and the numbers are. But, of course, it's a yes that we'd have to look at and analyse because is this just people who've gone a bit over the top and then pulled themselves back in? Or are these people that are becoming like us and needing to drink at seven o'clock the next morning? You see, you've got weekly hospital admissions as well. You've got somebody that might have had too much to drink or not and fell down the stairs and in hospital because of that. Yeah. Um, so it's related to drink, but... Those count in terms of alcoholic admission. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. alcoholics are doing that all the time. But not to, it's not to write that off. But statistically, Although those you've got us, more people drinking, you're going to have more falls yeah. and bangs and bumps. and. Oh, but those of us so. who are professionals very rarely fall over when we're drunk because we're so used to being drunk. Yeah. <laughs> that the chances of falling over are minimal. Right, well, it's I mean, like the thing on the moon. If you look at that video now, they, they didn't fall over, did they? In the remake, the one where they pretended to be on the moon. 
because they couldn't remember having been on it. <laughs> they were blacked out. And what about the way they jump off the moon and then, and then they don't just carry on going, they just come back and there's no gravity, is there? And they walk in and jump and still get back on the moon. So is that not? Well, I've read all this stuff about people saying the moon landings were fake and blah, 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 but I don't think they were fake. I think it's just a possible theory that they were drunk when they were up there. <laughs> so they then had to refilm it. Is that why we were asking it was about so yeah. space space drugs? Um, is that why we were that was, that that was the, the real theoretical model behind it. No, what I was really talking about there was what happens if, if people get in a job where they shouldn't be there and yeah, drop yeah. No, no. Which is what got me thinking about superheroes. I'm telling you now, nobody landed on that movie. Um, Chris, there's <laughs> a new Batman on the way, and you can't avoid seeing this stuff about the new Batman. And they keep saying it's different, but it so obviously isn't. It's got that kid from those silly vampire films in it, and he's trying to look all moody. What, the bloke that's like 30, but he looks about 18? Yeah. Yeah, um, he's on Maze Runner. Pat a cake. I don't know. Or whatever he's called. And he's there trying to look all emo and moody. And then there's the bat symbol and all this stuff. And, and it's all about how complex he is. And it's all about police corruption. As if police corruption is the new topic. I've seen that. I've seen what we're missing with superheroes is we're missing superheroes with really problematic pasts. Yeah. And the thing with Batman is that they keep redoing the logo. But it's just a bat. It's a fucking bat. <laughs> what's, what, what's the the How many million dollars are you spending to slightly retouch That's a fucking bat? Is that not out in the cinemas yet? Or? March. And, so it's, and already, it's, it's already been made then. Oh yeah, and they're redoing this stupid little symbol that we've been seeing for ages, ever since we had the one that I used to watch on a Saturday morning, the 60s one, mm. where it goes, kapow, kablonk, kawallop, and they were really <laughs> camp. And the other thing is, why are they going to all this fuss about, oh, he needs a new suit? Yeah. All he needs is a black pair of Y-fronts and a pair of tights <laughs> and a black top. Is it called The Bat? The Batman. The Batman? The Batman, yeah. Well, it's an imaginative title. And they spent hundreds of millions on this thing. And it would have been more interesting, actually, if they changed his childhood trauma. I don't know what to. Maybe his dad was a knitwear manufacturer or something. And he got smothered with one of his jumpers. Or he was, uh, he was so working Bruce, on a lave or something. Yeah, and Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne has constructed this big cave underneath his manor and it's just full of alpacas who are creating yeah. special sweaters. And now he's got like the, um, al the alpaca man. Yeah, and, he, and so they've got this little symbol that they have to make, which is alpaca man, and he comes out in his uniform, which is a selection of cable knit jumpers. Made of <laughs> And of course, the alpacas can come out and work with him like the Umpa Lumpas do with Spit Willy Wonka. Everyone in that. And I think it would be a lot more fun if the villain was drunk. Because <laughs> then, instead of having the bit in the church where it's very orchestrated, there's a trailer out at the moment, he'd be there up at the top of the organ, he'd fall down the balcony, land on someone in the congregation, pull down his trousers, soil himself, and pick an argument with one of the villains. <laughs> It'd be far more entertaining than yeah. seeing them okay. redo. The Riddler and the whatever else. Is that the penguin? And, well, the penguin is quite simple. Just use Pingu. Yeah. Pingu. You don't need the penguin. You don't need to cast it. It's not a speaking role. You have to have to talk then, does it? You what you do for is you get one of those film stars that can't act. And you just stick a Pingu costume on. And they just go bumbling about in the back of the shot all the time, bumping into things. <laughs> and then you've got this villain who's drunk, who keeps, you know, soiling himself and picking fights with traffic cones and 
falling over, yeah. putting cones on his head and screaming down the street and that. You can make that swear to Lulu is. <laughs> what, in Gotham? <laughs> Gotham. Who's Tallulah? The missing cat, the oh, cat that the went AWOL. Cat. I think Red, See, I've, Red I've had to rewrite bits because of that. Because what happened was I wrote the first six and then we had to go completely off piece because Tallulah disappeared. Tallulah vanished and she's vanished again. Well, no, like we said the other week, she's actually been in cahoots hiding with Selena. Oh. Selena, the furniture enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> Smuggling drugs in furniture and that. Well, they get smuggled in anything, don't they? That's the scary thing, is that this stuff never stops. No. And going back to the whole thing about decriminalisation, it's taking that away from it actually saves such a scary amount of money as well. Oh, yeah. A scary amount of police time would be saved. And, OK, it wouldn't go down well with mass drug suppliers, but ultimately their businesses anyway... Mm. those that supply huge quantities of drugs they would find a way but the thing that always gets me with this is seeing people whose only real offence is getting involved in petty crime because they're a drug user mm. ending up in prison that just strikes me as profoundly illogical the sad thing is sometimes it's like I've heard it quite a lot people go to prison and they're happy they're happy there because they've got, ordered. they've got a bed, they've got food, they're not using, and they've got a telly. Yeah, I have heard that. Insane, insane. It's, I've not, heard it's of, not insane, it's actually quite believable. And I've heard of the homeless committing an offence on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah, to go and get some food, yeah, yeah. But there is, going back to the stigma thing we were talking about on Monday, there is this huge thing, this constant depiction of the drug addict as criminal. Yeah. It's as if the two go together. You can't be a drug addict but not be a criminal. You can't be a drunk without being a problem. And mm -hmm. alcohol is something that is so prevalent in our society that we try not to talk about alcoholism in the mainstream media. Because it's such a cultural thing in England. We will talk <clears throat> about people being in recovery. That's fine. Especially when they're film stars. Yeah. Like, I mean, you mentioned Samuel L. Jackson. Bruce Willis is 30-odd years sober. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is decades sober, he's been sober forever, he has. I think the stigma thing, it's about the way this is discussed. Because with your media thing there, Ronnie, the thing about drinking in lockdown. Yeah. When you look that up and look at the effects of this drinking in lockdown, it's about the language that's used that to present it. Is. is it heavy drinking? Is it alcoholism? Yeah. Is it the patient's fault? Mm -hmm. Is it being painted as this is a strain on hospitals they don't need? Mm -hmm. Is it yet again the government trying to say this is all your fault because mm -hmm. we won't make a decision? Mm -hmm. Which is what was kind of happening. Yeah. It was basically gaslighting. Yeah, yeah. Those are my opinions, by the way, not anyone else's. But I think it's important that we actually look at the way these things are presented. Mm. Vocabulary and... Uh choice of words is very very important man especially with in every aspect of anything yeah yeah all that saying it's not what you say it's how you say it and well i was, I was you're doing therapy this, yeah. if you're doing therapy i've always engaged with oh, i do therapy and uh, didn't like anyone but this one woman she, i've been told because i like the way she just talks and she's very client-led and and then you've got all the policemen some guys they're all right they're just like, look, man, come on, if you're going to do something, go over there. Do you know what I mean? You can tell you're spun in weed or you're doing this or you're doing that. Mm. And they're like, 
come up there. You know what I mean? Some of them are just massive pricks, mate, because yeah. they get that bit of power. Mm-hmm. I was sat down with a homeless guy the other day. I was, I was smoking a fag with him, chilling, and just, you know, you, it's, they're just people, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just people, man. And there's a lot and of them. And, and, and sadly, I don't know, something's happened and... and, and uh, Anyone copper, could end up Yeah, yeah, ever, it says it's three paychecks or one paycheck away yeah, from yeah, being homeless. Yeah. And this <laughs> copper walks past, yeah. You can't remember what, exactly what he said. He, he said something to him. The homeless man that us with said something. Uh, uh, and the copper goes, yeah, well, not much goes on in my city without me knowing. I was yeah. like, <laughs> your city? I didn't say anything. I was about to just jump yeah. at that. Was he just uniform? No, he was he was out of uniform, yeah. Oh, he was so out, he, was, he was he was obviously like he's a little bit up there, isn't he? he yeah, yeah. He's Barry Big Bollocks. <laughs> a little bit up where? Well, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. mate. And I was thinking, you're a public servant, mate, and you're like, I felt like However, just being like. <laughs> I've heard much worse from politicians. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the way that things are discussed in the media overall yeah. is pivotal. The way that things are presented. Clearly, I'm watching the wrong things because there are more depictions of people in recovery in TV and film than I thought. Yeah. Oh, However, yeah. I still take issue with some of the language being used. I suppose what you said there. I don't know. I haven't seen many people like in recovery on like films, but no. I know of actors. There yeah. have always been actors yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in recovery because it's that kind of profession, and writers are mm-hmm. notorious. For being alcoholics, because mm. that writing alone is the escapism. I think the, there is that thing about the language of the depiction and the tone of the depiction. This person who is a struggling addict, alcoholic, are they a villain? Are they a hero? Are they an anti-hero? You know, what are they? Menace to society. And how are they depicted in relation to everyone else? They're often depicted as problem or inferior. You get called something long enough. One, you believe it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then two, you just get rebellious and you're like, well, yeah, if I'm going to do it, I'll do it anyway. You know, yeah. The truth of it is, is like for me, I've been very violent through my life. I've been very aggressive and I've been very confused, hurt and troubled. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not that person. I'm just hurting and I'm just scared yeah. and I'm fearful and I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know how this has happened. What's happened, like all the trauma as a kid and... And all of this, and it's like, well, fuck the world then. Fuck yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck this, fuck you, fuck you. Well, of course, you know because I mean? that's exactly how we respond. Yeah. And, and this is what concerns me about media representation, because it's, it's like Goebbels said in politics, if you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've seen that happen politically in this country mm-hmm. in recent years. And my concern is is that that is something that's been in process for some time mm-hmm. over both addiction and mental health yeah. i take major issue with the depiction of mental health over lockdown because all they're talking about is mental health light yeah they never talk about paranoid schizophrenia yeah. or bipolar 1 mm-hmm. they will talk about bits of depression and anxiety Mm-hmm. Now, sorry, like, that's mental health light. Mm-hmm. And then they throw around the word manic like mm-hmm. it's just confetti without even knowing what it really means. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to addiction, they have this way of depicting and discussing it. And, okay, maybe I'm not watching many of these things where I'm seeing depictions of addicts and alcoholics, mm-hmm. but what I am seeing is this language that puts them as being negative or problematic yeah. characters. You can't be a winner 
if you're an alcoholic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you're up to no good. And if it happens yeah, in right. EastEnders or Corrie or, or wherever, it's that the person is in crisis. Or they'll pick the person that has already got a reputation for being a little bit of a fuckwit, yeah. and then they're an addict they, now, they're... and they'll select it. So because these people run for years, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Like Phil Mitchell's been on there for years or whatever, and they're like, he's always been a dibbling and dabbling with a little bits and bobs, and and then bang, he's a crackhead. And yeah. like, it's like, oh, you got to watch out for this shot, pan. And, and then, then the, just... yeah, it's either the crackhead or the alcoholic is the one that's causing the, yeah. the, the harm, the pain. That is, is, I mean, I can understand beef. that in a soap opera they probably have a list of issues in the writer's room. Mm. And they'll probably say, oh, we haven't covered that one for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because that's actually part of their responsibilities as soap opera, is to cover issues that affect anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. But in terms of sensitivity, I'm not sure it's always been there. They just, they, they just bombard you with the problem. Do you know what I mean? In the yeah. soap opera, they just go bang. And it's, so you can sit there and be like, oh, well, that's happened to me as well. But nothing about like... But then I, d- I take this like, question you know I mean? because Sort it out. Or... On the one hand, when we talk about recovery anyway, we talk about the fact that it takes one to know one. And the reason why we need sponsors is we need someone else who's been through it. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of writing in television now takes place in writers' rooms where there's several of them working on the same thing. Now, if you watch The Simpsons, for example, yeah. I swear to God, there's at least two alcoholics in that writing yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> because the understanding is too clear. Family Guy as well. The understanding is just too great. Whereas, I look at the soaps and they talk about all this research they do. I'm wondering whether they're actually talking to alcoholics and addicts. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're talking about research, whereas the Simpsons don't need to talk about that because they've got at least one person in recovery in that right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know just from watching just, it. Yeah, of course you do. You know from the way that Homer behaves. You know from when they do that episode in the rehab, when Marge goes to rehab. And Family Guy, it's very obvious. Because he is a hopeless alcoholic. <laughs> I would like to see... I suppose, more involvement of people who've been there, done that writing experientially. Yeah, of course. Because the actors are there. I know quite a few people, yeah. They work in the services and they've got doctors, they've got psychotherapists that are not addicts, or, but they work with addicts and they come yeah. to them. They haven't got the credentials, yeah, or they yeah. haven't got this, or they haven't got that, but they're constantly getting asked. what. Because they've got experiential knowledge about how the yeah. fuck it works, yeah. and they're out on the other side. I think we're truly, we're not qualified, but I'm qualified. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, definitely. No, no, it's a very important thing to say, though, and it's part of the reasons why we do this, mm-hmm. and part of the reasons why we pitch this at people who are thinking about rehab, in rehab, just left rehab. Yeah. Because we are the voice of those who know that process, and experientially, we have that credibility, and a lot of it is about experience okay we have to learn to shape our experience which is what happens in recovery Mm -hmm. we have to learn how to frame our experience and use it to help other people but it's one of those areas addiction where experience counts for everything Mm. of course it does you can't theoretically look at alcoholism you can't say right what i'm going to do is i'm going to go to an off license and i'm going to buy six liters of white cider a day and what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pour it down the sink and I'm going to leave the bottles and I'm going to see what it looks like in theory. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do yeah, the yeah, washing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's not something you can theorise. You've got to fucking live it. It's like, it's like something we were talking about the other week. <clears throat> you can't, 
treat the program as an academic no, theoretical not. thing. You really got to experience this stuff. It's like knowing something. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm fucked. Understanding that I can't drink, take mm-hmm. drugs, and then yeah. experiencing it. Yeah. Because that's what it was like for me. Like, like I'd go to the thing. I'm like, fuck me. These guys are talking truth, man. I do. This is all me. Bam. I understand it now. I'm like, all right, cool, yeah. And then I've experienced relapse, mm. and then I've like I've experienced all of that, and then and then, mm. and then you come back in, and you're like, and then the more you read it, and the more you experience, it, the more you go to meetings, and the more and then or rehabs or dry house situations, and and you the more it's like, right, I need to live this stuff, man. Do you know what I mean? And and um, embody then spiritual principles. Uh, embody them, not just read about them and just yeah yeah but that's the thing about walking the walk isn't it yeah yeah and and about walking the walk around meetings Mm -hmm. rather than being one person in the meeting and another one when you leave yeah yeah yeah, that's it mate and it's about honesty and it's also about credibility and we only get that credibility from lived experience yeah yeah exactly that mate yeah yeah I don't know how we've meandered our way towards that we've meandered all over this morning but hey ho Hey ho. And we have run out of time. And I'm tempted to say that we've gone flat out. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. No, no, not quite. Anyway, we will love you and leave you. In um, a bit, guys. If we've managed to talk about anything that's touched any nerves, then please reach out. There are plenty of people out there willing to listen and help. Uh, don't suffer in silence and or give us a shout. And if there's anything you want to tell us, we are Flat Out Recovery on Twitter. We are on the Changes UK Facebook page. And you can email us at podcast at changesuk.org. So have a lovely weekend and we will speak to you all soon. Bye. See you guys. Right. I have got...